Today's episode is brought to you by Ozark Christian College. How do you know if the Master of Arts in Biblical Ministry at Ozark Christian College is right for you? The MA in Biblical Ministry was created to build a solid biblical foundation, helping you dive deep into the text and offering effective ministry strategies to prepare you for whatever calling God has on your life. This degree is affordable and highly flexible. You'll experience a transformational education community unhindered by distance. So what's your next step? Well, it's simple. Learn more and apply for free at occ.edu masters. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Disciple Makers Podcast. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and today's track session, we are featuring Lionshare. Lionshare is an organization that helps train people to be disciple makers within whatever vocation it is that they do. Dave Buring is the founder and president of Lionshare, and our other speaker today is Kent Chevalier. He's also one of the board members of Lionshare, but his main vocation is he is the chaplain for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Dave and Kent go into their story of how they met and also best practices for training someone in their specific vocation, but also some of the amazing implications of helping people to live and to work like this. It's an amazing story of their amazing journey, and I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's go ahead and jump in. This is Dave Buring and Kent Chevalier of Lionshare. Here we go. We're glad that you're here for this conversation. So this particular year, because there was a new resource that we put out this year, a book called The Great Opportunity, and subtitled Making Disciples of Jesus in Every Vocation. And part of what Lionshare does is we walk alongside churches and we help uh, churches get in a rhythm of disciple making using our tools. But, but as big, if not a bigger part of what we do is we walk alongside leaders in society government, business, media, arts, all kinds of things. And they're followers of Jesus, but they've never been discipled. So we pour in what we say, we call the ways of God. If you hear Kent and I refer to that today, what we mean by that is the ways of God is how God goes about doing something. So you, so you guys know this, for example, help me. If you're gonna be great in God's kingdom, we must become the greatest servants. Okay, so regardless, like working with, um, athletes, working with artists living here in Nashville, you know, there's conversations we'll have with them about, okay, so you're kind of known as a celebrity. Do you know that in the kingdom of God, there's really no such thing? There's a thing called being a servant. And so we help these artists learn how to serve other people, okay, through the platforms that they have, all right, through uh, in their families. Um, we have one country artist who serves her band really, really well. And because of that, she doesn't usually have to worry about who's going to be my drummer, who's going to be on bass. They, they love walking with her because she has served them so well. So when we talk about the ways of God, it's how God goes about doing things. And Kent's going to you know, share with you in our conversation today some of the ways of God that he's learned in the role that he has. And so um, let's, let's start in prayer. And let's ask the Holy Spirit to highlight for us today what he wants, all right? Kent and I are prepared, but we're both dependent, all right? So, Lord, today we just acknowledge before you our need for you. And, Lord, this isn't just about coming in to sit in a workshop because we're at a conference. This is about encountering you. 
and you equipping us for the work that you've called us to. So Lord, we just would ask today that as Kent and I share our relationship, share our stories, share the things you've got us doing, we just would ask, Lord, that you would help us lift our eyes to those in our flocks who work in the vocations. We realize only about two or three percent of people are in ministry. And we all know that whatever we do is ministry, but, but as far as vocationally, so there's that 97% or so of people that are out there in the other vocations. So as leaders of local churches, Lord, how do we envision them? How do we equip them to be able to make disciples within the arena where you have called them, where you've anointed them? So we ask for your help in helping us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Kent, why don't you tell a little bit of our journey? Yeah. Good afternoon, everybody. So it's good to be with all of you. And uh, I just wanted to kind of share a little bit of how Dave and I met so you can see the, the discipleship process. You know, we don't just talk about it. He, we actually live this out. So I was, um, before becoming a chaplain to the Steelers, I was 22 years in the local church as a pastor. Ten of those years as a youth pastor, 12 of those years um, as in adult ministries, worship ministries. Um, and so it was about year six of ministry for me that I, the church that I was a part of, said, hey, we go to this uh, youth discipleship intensive, and as our new youth pastor, you're going to go, and you're going to take all of the teenagers with you. Um, and Dave was the leader of this. It was called Acts Alive in Erie, Pennsylvania. Uh, several churches converged, student ministries. And as I was thinking, okay, this is also brand new to me, Dave's up front teaching, and and the, my students, you know how as a youth pastor, you're just like, shh, be quiet. All this. <laughs> I'm locked in onto everything that Dave was saying. I come up to him after several of the sessions, and I'm saying, I've never heard this stuff before. And he's just, he's just spitting discipleship. He's spitting the ways of God. He's spitting. And I realized, oh my goodness, I've never been discipled. And I was a youth pastor. And so the, I mean, the question for many senior leaders is, are you discipling your student pastors, the people who are on your staffs? Because uh, I find I was at a church that then invested in me in such a way that says we want to disciple you, and they, it led me to a relationship yeah. with Dave, and we it's 18 years now, and uh, Dave has walked me um, developmentally through some leadership shifts in my life. One being uh, becoming the chaplain to the Steelers, and he's like my go-to mentor um, in leadership, uh, in discipleship, and so I just that's kind of how we met. So I've been with Dave for 18 years, been on his, serving on his board now for five, Yeah, probably. I think so. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of how we met. So I was just telling Kent, we were having breakfast with several of the guys the other day that um, I'm 62 now, and we've known each other for 18 years, so I was Kent's age when we met, which means I'm getting older, and so is he. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. So what we want to do today is just just kind of play off of our friendship, our relationship in a conversation with you about uh, what it looks like to disciple in light of the vocations. And Kent's, Kent's vocation is kind of a fun, unique vocation. There's only literally 32 people. Are they all filled? All 32 no. teams? No. How many chaplains out of the 32? I, I think it's 22. 22. So yeah. he's one of 22 people that 
you know, does what he does. And so we thought it might be a fun conversation to, to have, but also to highlight the principles of what does it mean, how, like as a pastor, how many of you are senior pastors, executive pastors, youth pastors, worship in this room? Okay, and so the, the others of you serve in different areas of your church, others of you serve in the vocations. If you're serving in the vocations, I'm thrilled that you're here because this is a place that is ripe. Right, and I'm not. I'm not talking. So we're clear. We're not talking about salt and light here. Salt and light being winning people to Jesus. The lot we're talking about finding people who already know Jesus, who serve in your vocation, but have never been discipled. Because then, it, what it means is they don't view their vocation through the lens of the ways of God. They don't view their vocation through the kingdom eyes. They view them through this is where I get my paycheck. This is where I kind of get to use some of my skills. But we have to realize, and if you come to our next session, we want to talk about how the vocations are rooted in God's character. Okay? They're rooted in God. It's not just like, okay, I get it that you're a, a, someone in construction. Do you understand that he's the God that gave the dimensions of the ark? He built the tap. He gave them the dimensions of the tap. Like he's a builder. Do you understand that he's a communicator? Kent and I are both communicators. Well, do you understand there's a reason he's called the word? But see, oftentimes we've never taken the time to look at how vocations are all rooted in God's character. Therefore, he wants to express certain aspects of himself through what we do. Imagine a congregation catching the vision of that. It's not about being in ministry. It's about being obedient to where God's called us and how he's made us. So this is how God has made Kent. All right? So Kent... Let's let's check. We're going to be looking at our phones a bit. Just know that we're not texting our wives. We're just having a conversation outlined a little bit here. All right. Um, so this is your third season. All right. Last year was weird. Um, what are you finding unique in your vocation related to disciple making? So given given the nature of where I am coming from, ministry uh, was the local church context for me. What is really unique is that I essentially bring church into the NFL. And the way that Erica and I, so I'm the chaplain to all the guys, my wife is the chaplain to all the ladies of the organization, and we, we literally represent Jesus automatically. So they know this. So guys will duck us, you know, <laughs> people will duck us because they don't want anything to do with us. You know, or they, they know automatically, okay, that's the guy that I need to get involved with either Bible studies or child. And even what they call you is PK. they know. Yeah. yeah. So they call me PK, Pastor Kent, mm -hmm. but everything gets shortened in the NFL, at least in the Steelers locker room. Like my name's Kent, and I wish that they would just call me Kent, but they call me PK, Pastor Kent. Anyway, um, and so what's incredibly unique is if you're in church staff meetings, um, you probably start in worship, you start in prayer, you have a devotion, right? This does not happen in my new context, <laughs> you know? It, it starts in the weight room and the, and the music is absolutely vulgar. It's awful. Um, the business of the NFL uh, these days is incredibly dark. Um, when you find out that you're traded on Twitter rather than having a face-to-face -face conversation, um, the NFL can be a really dark place. Um, and so when you, you know, I know that we're not talking about light and dark here, salt and light, 
But as soon as I walk in, in as a guest into this facility, because I'm not a staff with the Steelers, I'm a staff with an outside organization, Athletes in Action, I'm a guest in this house. And the fact that Coach T would want me to be there um, is an absolute privilege uh, to be there. So Erica and I are definitely in a unique space of serving in a very dark business. And, and I don't want to say, I don't want you to think that the Steelers, like that all of the NFL is dark. It's just a business. Bottom line, it's a business. And at the end of the day, this is about entertaining. This is about sport. This is about business. And so it's, it's a completely different vocation than what I've been serving in, even though I still am PK, Pastor Kent, yeah. just very different. So, you know, in each vocation, you know, we could say this is going to resonate differently, but a, probably a similar answer. Like, what is the, what are you finding? Because again, remember, Kent would be dealing with primarily 22 to mid-30s, and then you get a Ben Roethlisberger thrown in there that endures a little longer, all right? But so you're dealing with um, some Gen Z, some millennials, yeah. you know, you remo remove the uniform and you're dealing with people. Okay, so what do you find, Kent, is the, what are you finding is the average baseline of the spiritual depth, breadth of the person in your locker room? So I would, if there's an average, so think, think about your typical uh, NFL athlete. Um, they have played this sport at such a high level for so long now. And the way that different, you know, seven on seven teams across the nation, um, things like this, they can never get to one of our churches. Our typical services are on Sundays or Saturday nights, and they are either in practice or they are playing. So since they were in junior high, playing at a really high level, so some of their, you know, earliest memories of, of maybe mom, grandma taking them to a church building stops after that elementary age range because now they're playing at a really high level um, and so if if the average coming into the NFL as far as a baseline of spirituality um, they're they're getting it from Twitter Instagram uh, 30 second snippets of I heard that this guy might be you know a guy that I should listen to uh, or whatever so it's you know it, it's a Twitter spirituality uh, it's not based in, in the scriptures, it's based in that 140 characters of you never know what theology is going to be getting uh, to them. Um, so I, I don't know if that fully answers it. I, there have been the privilege of um, building upon the shoulders of guys. I met somebody just out here who is serving with FCA. Um, and Fellowship of Christian Athletes, they, they serve in high schools and, you know, they get onto teams and they are chaplains within uh, high school uh, teams. If you get a kid who has gone to an FCA and then in college maybe they stuck with it, you might get one or two guys who have had an FCA or an Athletes in Action experience in college and they're coming in with a, a bit of a baseline of, um, I've I've heard the word discipleship. Does that, does that make sense? But because they can't fully get to on any weekend to a church building, to a small group, anything that we would call like, hey, this is how you begin the process of discipleship, they've never had that. I don't want to say never, but most it's not of the time. a norm. Right. Hey, speaking of that, I think we can honor someone here in the room. So I'll let you introduce them, Kent. So we have 
uh, with us today too, the, the very first chaplain of yes. the Steelers. So why yes. don't you... So back in the 70s and early 80s when the Steelers won four Super Bowls, uh, Hollis Half right here. Hollis, would you wave right here? Uh, first Athletes in Action chaplain to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And first of now, what is five chaplains to the Steelers, Athletes in Action. Um, over that, what is that now? How many years? So, yeah, 40. 74 you started. So, wow. That's incredible. So I'm just, I just build off of his shoulders. You know, exactly. And the, the legacy, honestly, I, I mean this. So let me honor you for one second. The legacy that you and the Mike Websters and the early Terry Bradshaws and the um, Tunch Ilkins and the Craig Wolfleys that have laid with the Roonies a foundation for discipleship within that locker room is still going strong. And, and it's I'm, it's just a privilege to be able to continue to serve in that capacity and, and learn. So I've known Hollis, even before I knew he was a chaplain, we served as pastors in Pittsburgh right down the street from one another. And when I found out he was a chaplain to the Steelers, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, wow, what did you do? And now I get to do it. This is fun. I'm having a good time. So now you know it's not Bradshaw and me, Joe Green. It was Hollis that brought the championships. <laughs> <laughs> We're glad you're here. Same thing, Leo. Glad you're here. So, Ken, early on, um, so some of my journey in walking with uh, artists or government leaders, you and I were talking as you first went in, like, what's the process? How do I? We talked a little bit about this process of relationship to pastoring to discipling. Talk a little bit about how you journeyed in that. So in the NFL, and I, maybe it's not just exclusive to the NFL, I think trust is a huge thing with people. And, but especially in the NFL, they've learned not to trust because everybody wants something from them 24-7. And so they always have their meter up of, are you just here for an autograph? Are you working an angle for later on? And so it has taken um, us a long time. So Erica and me, our first year fire hose of just meeting people. And we could see that people were reading us. Like, why? Why are you really here? This is an honest question that I got from one of the players. Are you some celebrity pastor that's going to use this somehow? Right? And, and um, there's this automatic distrust. So as I went through that season preaching and inviting new people into the space and connecting them to Pittsburgh ministries of trusted people, they, they saw, I'm not there for an autograph. Season ends. That's basically all of the relational, you know, chars I've got. Into that next season, um, COVID begins to shut down life, everything. I'm, I barely made it through the COVID protocol uh, as a tier two, um, and I was able to be with the uh, players, coaches, uh, Erica with the, she was not allowed to be with the players' wives, girlfriends at all because of the COVID protocols. So it set us back in our relationships. Um, but what it did um, is that I saw who was going to begin to step up. Mm -hmm. It provided an opportunity to see, okay, this guy's been discipled already through an FCA or a pastor who invested or a parent or whatever. And I see leadership. And because I cannot physically be in the building right now, Vance, you got it, bro. And he's, he had to step up or it wasn't going to happen. And so you, to build off of that, then he retires. 
And I'm like, oh, God, I thought I had a you know, <laughs> relationship because it's that quick in the NFL. You just never know, which I also think is a beautiful thing about the NFL. If we can disciple, so now that I'm in my third season, and if I've been with guys now for three years and I'm beginning to see that relational equity with Erica and me paying off, we can't keep up with the number of relationships right now because they actually trust us. Now it's, okay, who are the two, three that are hungry, that are going to step up in leadership? And if watch this. If they get then traded in their fourth year, the rookie contract, the NFL, it's an automatic sending system for discipleship. Go and make disciples in Las Vegas with the Raiders of Raiders Nation, right? So I'm making disciples in Steelers Nation. The NFL automatically sends them. I think it's beautiful. It's hard on the heart as you build relationships, but then it, it's like, this is what it's all about. Send them. Um, and so I've been... We're, we're just at the beginning of tapping into those two or three couples, um, those one or two guys in the locker room who aren't yet married, they're dating, and we're, we're seeing the potential of those who will make disciples because they themselves are learning what it means to be a disciple maker. They're not there yet. And I think one of the dangers that we have done is we put guys up on a pedestal way too early in our churches so if you've ever done this let me just please don't do this check with check with a, a person who's investing in their life first to see if they're ready for the message on your platform because you may have a young man or a young woman who's not ready to begin making disciples just yet because they might say something so stupid on the mic right or they say something brilliant on the mic and the next day they make a stupid decision because it's three steps forward four back because they're learning what it means to follow jesus we have a tendency to equal for whatever reason spiritual maturity in the nfl or arts and entertainment we put these artists up yeah. who are really gifted because they can write lyrics or you know sing like this and we equal talent with spiritual maturity, huge mistake. Yeah, because yeah, their yeah. character's not built up. Yeah. They don't even know what that is just yet, because they're 21. Yeah. They're, you know, some, I mean, the artists you're working with, sometimes they're 16, 17 years old. Yeah. How would we expect them you know, to do that? So. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's, it's things we're thinking about, those that you're investing in. Let me ask you this, Kent. So thinking vocationally with those that you're working with, what are some of the, and this is a little, we didn't prepare for this one, but I think you'll be able to respond well to this. What are some of the, whether we call them the ways of God or spiritual principles that you find, generally speaking, hit where these guys are living? Yeah. So I'll just tell you a story because it's public. Um, often in these settings, I'm careful because I, I do not share personal information and all this, but because this one's public, um, Coach Tomlin, at the beginning of training camp um, two seasons ago, he comes in in a red button-down. We're like, what? Because you have to, you're told, you have to wear Steelers gear in team meetings. He comes into the team meeting with a red shirt on, which obviously everybody's like, what's he doing? And he just simply turns around. So he comes into the meeting, he entered from the back so that everybody would not see what's on the back of his and he's just standing here red, doesn't say a thing, and just simply turns around like this. 
And on the back of his red shirt was the Heinz Field Cleaning Ambassador logo. So he then begins to tell everybody, as a part of our culture, um, these folks are not here to serve you. Players, coaches, staff, you are here to serve them. And so in a principle of not even saying a word, he taught the ways of God. Yeah. Right? That even though that you are millions of people cheering for you, we will serve. And so every time now that you, you see some of these veterans who have caught the culture, they don't even realize that they're preaching the ways of God. But when it's combined with that Bible study ways of God, a servanthood piece is something that lands. I've also watched as when, when we talk about giving, tithing, giving, generosity, sacrificial generosity, when that lands in the heart of a young couple with the platform that God has given to them and they've been discipled, watch out. Because they're sowing big seeds into the kingdom of God with sacrificial generosity and speaking to the millennial and Gen Z, they are cause driven and they're, they're not just putting their money, they're putting their feet and everything they've got into these causes. So I'm watching a young man right now as he's getting introduced to IJM, International Justice Mission. And he is extremely like, how could this happen? Well, we're simply with our relationships. In case people don't know. Yeah, IJM, um, the, the world's leading um, organization to fight against human trafficking in the world. Um, it, brilliant the way that they do it. Um, lawyers involved, just they do it right to make sure that it sticks. And so this young man, he, when he was introduced that human trafficking happens, you, you just saw it go like, we can't, we can't, we can do something about this. And so he now, in our connections, because of my wife's passion to fight against human trafficking and what she's doing in the city of Pittsburgh with it, she just said, hey, I would love for you to be introduced to IJM. And now we're, like, we feel like that's a part of our role. Simply make the connection and watch God do his thing. And it's, it's going to be exciting to watch. So that's one of the young couples that God has given to us that we feel like is tapping on the shoulder for disciple making. Yeah. But radical generosity is going to come from that. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Yeah. Hey, so I just, I just want to pause to, to reinforce this principle. So in whatever it is you do, whether you're a vocational leader in church, vocational leader in other areas of society, I want you to catch this principle. It's like, here's this new person. Maybe you're the new one walking in or the new employee. You need to start building relationship with them. Have you ever noticed that when you have a relationship with someone and you need to bring correction, it's much, it goes down much easier? If you don't have a relationship with them, they can't hear you. And so even though you're your bot, their boss, you still need to build a relationship. Why? Because Jesus would. Jesus did. And so it's building a relationship. And then it's recognizing when they invite you into their life, if I could use this phrase, pastors will get this, those of you in different vocations, where you can pastor them. In other words, when, when all of a sudden you're just showing up at their desk and you're seeing some tears on the desk and you look at them and there's, and then you, you just put their, your hand on their shoulder and say, are you okay? And they say, no, I just learned my mom's got cancer and she's got a month. See, the Lord's just opened a door to go beyond relationship, like, hey, Bob, how are you? To be able to simply say, is it okay if, hey, can you just come in my office a minute? And you shut there, is it okay if I just pray for you? See, and it's moving from relationship 
to pastoral. And then when, when that continues, there's going to come a time where they start asking you more questions related to how do I grow? How can I get better at? Then that's a time to move into the disciple-making role. So sometimes when you go charging in first to make a disciple, it just doesn't land. And your heart's right, but they're not ready yet. And so just think of that first relationship and then moving into cat category where God gives you opportunity. I'm not saying you also become a pastor, but it's a good term to use to pastor, to tend them, bringing Jesus into the situation. And then there's going to be trust built that they'll unzip your, their hearts, which allows you to speak more into their life and begin to disciple them. See, this isn't just pastoral work. This is how it works in the vocations. So there's an artist here in Nashville. Some of you might know her from American Idol days by the name of Mandisa. Mandisa was in our church during the American Idol time. One Sunday after church, she, she said, I need to talk to you. Well, where I was pastoring, our offices were in the basement. And so we go wandering down to the basement, and she's like this. She's looking all over, and I'm going, what is her deal? She shuts the door of our office, and she's looking out the window. <laughs> and, and there's nobody there in the hallway. It's all dark. It's just us in my office. And I said, like, what are you doing? She said, I'm just really concerned that nobody hears what I'm about to tell you. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Has she murdered somebody? Like, what's happened? Like, what is this about? And she says, so what you don't know is in the Atlanta tryouts of American Idol 2005, she was on in 2006, she said, I won. And because I won, they sent me to Chicago. They paid my way. I won in Chicago. And guess what? You don't know this. Nobody knows this. And this is why I'm paranoid because I signed a contract that I owe them money if I yak about this. Oh, okay. She said, I'm in the top 25. And Sean and I are like, what? I mean, we know, as they say here in Nashville, she can sing, you know, but she could sing. And all of a sudden she's in. So we walked with her through that journey. And but it, but we got to that point first building relationship. If you first came to our church at this time, Mandisa was the greeter. Hi, welcome. Here's a bulletin. Bathrooms are there. Kids ministries there. And then one day she was on the worship team about a year later. And it was like, wow. And now we're in the office. She said, can you walk with me through? So we walked with her through the journey, and now there was the pastoral opportunity. Okay? And then it wasn't until she finished Idol, got into her career here, that she saw the need to be discipled. And now she's on the other end of that. She has a group called her sister's group that she disciples young artists who you don't know yet, but they're young women, about a dozen of them, that once in a while I'll get the call, hey, when you taught me about this, how did you, because she wants to communicate the same principle. But so relationship, tending someone's need, and then they invite you into discipleship, and then you can release them as a disciple maker. Does that make sense? So especially when you're walking with people in the vocations, it's really important that you catch this, okay? So Kent, um, share with them, um, like talk about being thrown into the fire. You're within your first week and something significant happens at training camp. So I, the way that this happened for me is so crazy um, that I signed on with Athletes in Action and a week later I reported to training camp. So I had no clue what I was doing. I had heard what Coach Tomlin wants me to do, and I didn't know. So the, I didn't know the difference in his mind of what chapel versus what Bible study meant. So I didn't understand. Like he had a thought and idea. So um, I show up. I have no idea. I don't even have a room. They don't even know I'm coming. It was just awkward all around for everybody. 
And so everybody's wondering why the fat bald guy is just wandering <laughs> around the St. Vincent College facility. And, and like, did you have Steelers I, gear on? Did they give you that? Not yet. Not yet. Yeah. And so everybody's wondering, who am I? How does he have like the? Because you have to have like the credentials. Credentials, right? And um, so I have the credentials, but I have zero relationships. Coach Tomlin. The it's just last fans. thing. It's it, just fans, right? Yeah, fans. But I don't get to see fans. Hardly ever, the way that this yeah. all works. So I spent so much time just wandering St. Vincent by myself, um, not knowing that I could be in certain areas because I didn't have any information. All this to set up that I had no clue what I was doing as the chaplain to the Steelers. And 11 days into training camp, there was an awful tragedy where uh, Coach Drake, our wide receivers coach, he died suddenly at training camp and I I get the call 5.30 in the morning coach Tomlin says get down here now to my room I thought I was in trouble like I had gone somewhere and he brings shuts the door and he says the paramedics are here right now coach Drake was found dead and I need you to address the team and I'm what, what would you do in that moment. But here's what I, I feel like. Coach Drake, believer in Jesus Christ, publicly known that he would start his wide receiver unit meetings in prayer uh, every time. He would often share scripture. Just an incredible, godly man. So I then get told I have to lead the funeral. And I'm going, I don't even know this man. Don't know the family. So I preached the hope of the gospel within death and what that meant for Coach Drake. And what this did for, for me, so this awful circumstance, all of a sudden, the entire organization knew that I'm the new chaplain to the Steelers, which would have taken me months, if not years, to even be known and recognized. Because not everybody comes to chapel. Not everybody comes to Bible studies. Um, and so, horrific, it was awful. And what you're talking about, the tending to the needs, I, let's, I'll just say that my phone was blowing up and my room was a revolving door of all of a sudden, because I, people knew who I was now, the, the chaplain guy, I need, I need to process this. Um, and the Steelers were also so brilliant at bringing in counselors, and, um, but my door never stopped. Um, so that then gave me opportunity to begin relationship on the sidelines yeah. uh, when young men were having an extremely tough time just getting through a practice because of what just happened. Um, and I remember saying, I, God, what in the world do I say in this moment that Coach Tomlin um, asked me to speak in front of the team meeting? None of these guys knew who I was. So they're hearing me for the first time, seeing me for the first time, many of them. Um, and I, I just felt like God dropped into my heart. Guys, I need you to know this. Counseling is not for the weak. It's for the really wise. And, um, and that opened up a door of conversation for many, many people. Um, and so it's in those moments, be prepared in season and out of season to preach the hope that we have. And sure enough, it got put to test 11 days into my years.
Hello, Disciple Makers Podcast listeners. I want to invite you to the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum here in Nashville, Tennessee on October 5th and 6th. Jesus had a strategy, a plan, and a roadmap for making disciples. In other words, he was highly intentional. He guided, coached, and developed his disciples into full-on disciple makers, and by living out the Great Commission, they changed the entire world. We're constantly gaining new insight about intentional discipleship as we look closely at Jesus. And if we're thoughtful and prayerful, we can apply many of those same practices today. So head on over to discipleship.org to buy your tickets for the 2022 National Disciple Making Forum. I look forward to seeing you there. So in your vocation, whether you're a pastor or you're a business person or whatever it is you do, I just want you to translate that for a minute because we often will miss the moment. Um, The other day, uh, Mel, who's on our team, and Sean, who's not able to be here, and Kent and I were just having breakfast, just catching up as friends, and they're part of our board. And because Kent had, you know, something, I don't think he wears anything other than black and gold these days, but he had something on, and the the waitress walks up, and she makes a comment, oh, we're stealer friends. And so I said, did you live, oh yeah, we lived in, and then, you know, I couldn't help but after about three minutes of her gushing. I was trying thing, to keep it I, yeah, quiet. Yeah, and I knew he was trying to keep it quiet. But I just said, well, you get the chance to visit with the chaplain for the Steelers today. And, I mean, just undone. There got to be pictures. And will you text my, and could you have this player? And, you know, Ken's just being very gracious and not telling, you know, saying, committing anything from any player, but just kind of creating bridges. And she came back several times. But in the midst of this, so here we are barely building a relationship. Barely, but enough that you could tell she's really enthused and energized. That she gave us an opportunity to tent. And she shared about her husband. And one of the reasons they were in Pittsburgh, summertime, I think, was it's his part of his bucket list of going home because he's dying of cancer. And so it moved, like you talk about a speed of moving from relationship to tending, like boom. So at once she kind of got her pictures and settled down, we just said, it would be okay if we pray for you and your husband. And so right there in Cracker Barrel. The four of us guys are praying for her. And I don't know if you noticed that the guy over here and the guy back here, remember she kept saying, I'm sorry, I should be getting to you. And he just said, don't worry, just keep doing what you're doing. So they got it. Yeah. But, but see, when you're, when you're dealing with the vocations, again, whether it's ministry vocation, business, media, whatever you serve in, one of the ways that you can bring Jesus into things is you have to be aware. Now, now obviously, we all know we should be praying for these moments. Okay, We should be praying for them. And I remember when Kent texted me the morning that the passing, and I'm sure with several others, he just said, we just pray. We're having you know, this, this thing happen and, and pray. And I remember that, and I remember thinking, oh, boy. Like, I, I was excited because I thought God's just giving him a huge entree. And I also went, oh, boy. Because yeah. <laughs> that entree was massive and had to. And yeah. Can I just. Yeah. So th- this is in every one of the vocations. It's just life. Yeah. Right. It's not because I was the chaplain in that moment. Well, it was for me because yeah. I was the chaplain in this new vocation. But I, I let me tell you another quick story because. Um, it's often in moments of tragedy where God breaks forth light into the darkest moments of people's lives. So another moment, in, just two weeks ago in, in the Steelers, one of the coaches, um, his wife, tragically, it was an accident, um, she passed away. And this is, a, this is a guy 
who has kept me at a distance for an extremely, we don't have a relationship. And all of a sudden, because of that tragedy and how close my wife is to his wife who died, he, he has come really close to me. Like to the point of, I, I don't know fully what to do right now with, with him. Um, because I know that there is a belief in Christ, but he's been discipled in maybe one of the weirdest ways. So he doesn't want anything to do with Bible studies or chapels or anything like that. It's Lone Ranger Christian spirituality out here. Um, and, and so, but he's texting me every day. He's calling me on multiple times a week and just coming up close. And I feel like God's giving me an opportunity simply to love this guy into maybe a relationship. Who knows what it's going to turn into? But obviously in the back of my mind, I'm going, God, you're, you might be opening a door for relationship that leads to discipleship in the ways of God here. And I'm going to tend that. I'm going to steward this relationship extremely well. And I'm not going to go, you taught me this, I'm not going to go into a relationship where I'm not invited. Because oftentimes we can hurt with our words if we don't have the relationship. How, how do you say that? I, I get the concept, but is there a particular way that you say that? I don't know. If I said it well then. Yes, so. you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that's the, the thing. Again, because of what Kent does, we, we knew that this would provoke just some conversation that can apply to all of us. You know, of being aware, praying, are you prepared when you go into work to deal with moving from relationship to tending? Like, are you prepared for that? Are you, meaning spiritually, are you prepared for that? Um, pastors that are here, are you prepared for this with, with the people that you walk with? Because sometimes, again, in church life, it can be its own little world and own little bubble, but it is your, you know, we say in Hawaii, it's, the, it's your ohana, it's your family. And, and you know, I, I'm not the fan of the, the senior pastor that only speaks about six times a year to his youth pastor. Like, this is not how Jesus would do things. And I can't tell you how many youth pastors are frustrated, pulling their hair out, because they want to be discipled, but the senior pastor only views them through the lens of, well, it's great that you're doing stuff with our youth, but there's not a relationship. So there's not even a place to move from relationship to tending, because there's not hardly a relationship. So, you know, I just want to encourage you as pastors, you need to engage. It's like disciple-making looks like this. It, it's, it's the priority. Next to loving Jesus and your neighbor, disciple-making is the priority. And so if you, if you lead a staff or you have, like, you know, in a children's ministry, three or four maybe that are on your team, like, is the primary aim of your life to pour into them? Is it is because that's where your time needs to be? It's pouring. If you're a pastor of a church, is pouring into your staff the priority of pouring into your flock? It should be. Why? Well, Jesus did it that way. He poured into them, then he sent them to minister to the masses. And so, I, I just want to encourage us, regardless of your vocation, are you making disciple making a priority for you? It's not just to be for your staff or, you know, the guy in the education department or the person running small groups. It's you. And your modeling of it trickles down. All right? So that's part of the reality of that. So let me just, I'm going to just give the mic to, 
Kent here to let him share something, and then we'll, we'll just open it up for some Q&A. We got to end at the bottom of the hour, but if there's questions that you want to ask Kent, you want to ask me, we, we just want to open that up to do that. But Kent, just kind of the last question here, just is there anything that God's been doing in you? Because, you know, as we disciple others, and in your case, it's still moving. Like I imagine, and this is Dave's way, this is not yours, but I imagine that, okay, here's the ones that are in relationship. you got names. Here's the ones I'm tending where that kind of bleeds over. And then here's the ones I'm looking at discipling. So as you've been in that process, how has God been discipling you? Where have you grown in the last three years? So... Athletes in action, the way that we are set up in the NFL. So you have athletes in action that's all over the country, international, um, and, and primarily you, you're in high schools and colleges. And in those places of the NFL, there's a group of chaplains um, we connect. And I'm going somewhere that's because I have never met some of the people who are on my staff in person. So the I've never I've never met the Houston Texans chaplain in person, um, but I see him on Zoom calls and things like this. So to answer your question of, I think, well, I don't want to say it that way. I took for granted the community that is within the local church context and how much of a brotherhood and sisterhood that it is. I think there was a tendency as, so pastor of a large church in Wexford, that I felt this, I have to distance myself from my staff, from my, because I'm the leader, you know, and, and I don't know how to be in small group with people who are part of my church because they see me as the answer guy in the small group. And so it's like this weird, but it was, it was me doing that and saying, oh, I can't, I can't step it. Now not having a staff, it's Erica and me out on our own. Athletes in Action is a wonderful organization, but we, are, we all feel very alone in our cities that we are in. And so the church, the hub for discipleship, the church context has become so precious to us but as full-time missionaries within a local church context, people don't get us. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So I am learning that when I sit in the pews and people don't see me engaging in the programmatic ministries of the church, they're getting frustrated with me because they're like, you need to be doing this at our church. I would, I would encourage. Yes, please that those who sit in your pews, I'm, I'm also known as the crying pastor, by the way. So those who sit in your pews, who have caught the vision for discipleship within the vocations where God has placed them, don't ball them up with your programmatic ministry within the local, like the walls. Of your building celebrate them come alongside of them equip them resource them champion them say hey do you know what our church is doing 
right? Because sometimes it's so isolating. Yeah. I was the lead pastor of this incredible church. I love this church in Pittsburgh. We're still a part of it. But I now feel like I don't fit any longer. Isn't that weird? And I like I have a good relationship, but the pastors are so busy. The people are we're so busy with the programmatic stuff. And because I don't fit into that, I'm not I feel so God's stretching us yeah. in this area of what is church? Yeah. What are relationships within the body of Christ and and how do we as senior leaders and ministry leaders we don't we need to encourage yeah. and cheer yeah. and say, well done, keep going, and yeah. equip, and, and all of that. So yeah. I don't know if that fully answers yeah, it, good. but man, that's, that's where Erica and I are right now, especially as she's jumped on full-time with Athletes yeah. in Action now. And she just stepped away from her part-time role in a local ministry in Pittsburgh. So we're, we feel like we're, it's just us, babe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, so hear that. I have people in our church who have said that too. It's like, Dave, I need to know as a pastor that you would lay hands on me and commission me into my business, just like you do the short-term missions team. Yeah. Okay. Tomorrow, uh, I, and I don't remember what time it is, but our first session tomorrow morning, we're talking about how do you missionize marketplace disciple makers. And we're going to start with talking about the culture of your church. Is the culture of your church such? that marketplace leaders can rise up and you can, they, in, in other words, can you as a pastor, for those of you who have a pastor or ministry hat on here, can you value as much what Kent is doing in the marketplace as your staff is with the kids? And see, oftentimes we, we, nobody would say this and we wouldn't even think it purposely, but accidentally, or just by virtue of history, we would think, yeah, well, that's great that you're doing that out there, but this is the real, no, 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 this is the problem, right? The real ministry is out there, yeah. okay? And until we get that situated right and then do disciple-making for the sake of that, can I just tell you this, we, we, won't, we will not see our culture change. The, the aim of disciple-making is never changing culture. The aim of disciple-making is always reproducing the character, ways, and mission of Jesus and others. But the byproduct is a society that's changed. And we have to come to, to grips with the reality that society will not change unless the church gets back to the Great Commission. I, I would be the first to say, I think our country, we could pick on any country, I'm just picking on ours because it's where we live. Our country is in the condition it is because we've ignored the Great Commission of Jesus to make disciples for decades. And so you don't have a lot of leaders out in these areas of society because we haven't discipled them in the depth of their walk with God, that they can reflect his character in situations, reflect his ways. Like, like one person that has done this really well because of his parents and others is a guy by the name of Tim Tebow. Tim doesn't, in my opinion, maybe doesn't have quite the arm to be an NFL quarterback, but one of the greatest college players of all time. But it's always amazing to me when he was playing on the Broncos how much ESPN would focus on Tim Tebow. And I'm just going, why is that? He's probably like ranked number 28th of the 32 quarterbacks. But I believe because God said, I'm putting a spotlight on him because of who he is. He's a man of, of incredible godly character. And so God was exalting him to give him place to reflect Jesus in his kingdom. And he's never not done that well because he's a man of godly character. 
Okay, so I just want us to, to think about this, and, and we'll continue to talk about this in our session um, here this afternoon and then, you know, tomorrow as well. So you can ask whatever questions you want to ask. The only thing I would say is don't, don't, get, don't ask Kent any questions about, you know, what about this particular player? Is he saved? Is he going to hell? What, what's going on? Don't just, <laughs> just don't do that. That's, that's kind of pastoral privilege, just like we, we, we would do with, so let's not go there. But, but you're asking, you're welcome to ask questions related to vocational stuff that we've talked about. If you just want to ask something fun because you have a guy that's connected to the Steelers, it, you're welcome to do that. All right, we've got about 10 minutes and then we'll, we'll dismiss you. So who would like to ask a question? Just raise your hand. Yeah, let me just see if this extends to you so we can get this on. Thanks again. So Dave, uh, you had talked about how senior pastors can sort of see disciple making as something that specialists would do within their operation, so it's not for them. Yeah. Um, but you opened with the largest hindrance to discipleship being senior pastors. Was your point that senior pastors aren't modeling it and that's the hindrance, or was your point that senior pastors are not being discipled? That's a, thanks. That's a great question. The, the point from that original meeting when we all kind of were just saying like, what's the greatest hindrance to disciple making in North America? It was the latter. It was, it was, there was, because most of us in that group had been a senior pastor, myself included. And we, we realized that we bumped into so many of our peers that when you'd have the conversation about discipleship, they would literally look at me like I had a hole in my head. And, and, in, and I'm going, okay, you're a pastor. Jesus said, go make disciples. Like, I'm just, I'm not doing the math. And I was getting frustrated inside. Not angry, but just kind of like, oh, what's the deal? And I remember the Lord spoke very clearly to my heart. And he said, Dave, when you hear that, I want you to have compassion because they're only doing what they've been discipled to do through seminary, through their training. So begin to build a relationship and start pouring into their lives. And so there's many a senior pastor out there like um, I could tell you story after story of, of just like godly men, incredibly gifted communicators, incredibly gifted evangelists, incredibly gifted people, people. But, but they look at me and they just go, I don't know how to do this. And then when I just pause and just let them think about it and I'll say, and do you know why? And they said, yeah, because I never got it. And my experience tells me, so I'm just giving you one guy's experience, so don't run around saying this is the number. My experience has said that four out of five, or if you round it up, eight out of 10 senior pastors that I have had relationship with have, would say, I've never been discipled. So when I start talking to them about a disciple-making culture, they kind of go, it's kind of like what Kent was doing at the youth camp, like, I don't, I don't have this. And so if you've never experienced it, it's difficult to do. So that, again, was part of the genesis of this whole forum was how can we wash the feet of senior pastors and their teams? Yeah. So I don't think it's a lack of desire, but I think sometimes it's, and you know, and it can be a hard thing. Let's just say you're a, like, like one time I was speaking in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. That's a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> and I had a group about your size of pastors, and I'm talking about discipleship. And these, most of these guys are senior pastors, maybe 50, 60 people. And at one point, I see this, like repeatedly, all through the room like this. And I'm just, and I'm noticing it across. So I just, I did this. I said, time out. Can you guys all look up here? And they all quietly looked up. And I said, what's going on? And I knew, but I wanted to hear what's going on. And like one guy said, Dave, I'm, I'm 55 years old. Nobody ever told me this before. 
And the next guy, like, like I should have been doing this since I was in my 20s, and now I'm 60 years old, and I haven't. So you, know, you could see the enemy trying to bring condemnation. So I just said, okay, time out. I said, I want you to stand with me. So they all stood up. I said, let's pray a prayer of repentance right now. And for the sake of just unity here, can I pray? Would you repeat out? And I literally led them in a prayer of, dear Jesus, forgive me for disobeying the Great Commission. Lord, forgive me that I didn't pay attention to this. I forgive those in Jesus' name who never told me what I should have known. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the presence of God just showed up. And then we agreed, said, how about we draw a line in the sand right now and say, from this day forward, we're going to include this, you know. So you guys, th there's times we just have to do that. And, and so I, when I say that to you, I'm just telling you to inform you that that's the heart of what's going on here. But to also let you know that it's all said with huge compassion and a willingness and, and prayers. Jesus, would you connect every person, every church that comes to this place with one of us as organizations that they feel a bond with that they could say, would you help me? Because all of us will say it'd be our privilege. Okay. Thank you for that. Questions? Yeah. Can you just come up and say it here in the microphone so we can get your uh, fine voice on the recording? It's better than me repeating the question. I just wonder if you could spend, you know, you both of you, but certainly uh, a little more time kind of diving into what it would look like to um, do what you were talking about at the end, celebrate uh, vocational missionaries uh, well in the church context. You know, yeah. What kinds of things that would look like practically? Absolutely. So, so the belief um, that ministry doesn't just happen in the pulpit or in the kids' room, teenagers' room, um, we've got to realize that our volunteers have a ministry that they go to every day, whether that be in their home, whether that be the business that they run or the employee that they are. That is a place for ministry for them. And so I think it, it might just be a philosophy, right? It's a beginning to celebrate the fact that that the church meeting the gathering is the disciple making hub where all of the vocations are present at once right and, and so we have at lion's share you know um 12 13 uh where we say um this as a mom in the family we celebrate you right we do that on mother's day all that stuff but we your ministry is so valuable in the home how can we help that? How can we say to lawyers, uh, doctors, instead of just, hey, we're doing a medical mission trip, how can we say to them, what does it look like within you know, the, the, the surgery to be speaking out the ways of God? When you open up and you see the intricacies and, and speak to that, and you know, how can we celebrate, even like when we do a mission Sunday, what if we did a vocation Sunday? And we celebrated and started casting the vision within our church buildings on Sunday mornings. What would it look like if we highlighted all the different vocations, had people stand like we have them stand up? Are you a student ministry volunteer? We clap for you. Thank you. You know, all this. We, we beg for people to volunteer within our buildings. What if we began to turn that on its head and celebrated the fact that every person in that room is in ministry every single day? 40 to 60 hours a week. 40 to, yes. Here, you say that again. 40 to 60 hours a week. Exactly. So um, it's just a, 
if it drips from that senior leadership that the people aren't here to come to ministry, we are here to equip you for the works of ministry in your vocations. So here are the ways of God, the character of Jesus, how he goes about doing things in business, in entertainment, like to be able to help people understand that they are in ministry. So I had a huge shift for me when I began to understand when I, like I thought preaching was that like I had to wear a tie and a suit and to be in ministry for me was to be that guy. Um, funny enough, my pastor was bald, so that sort of happened for me. Um, <laughs> but that ministry could only exist in that pulpit. And a huge shift for me when I began to even realize that student ministry was a thing. So that's, that's what I mean. This is it's like helping people realize that ministry happens every day for them. Yeah. So one of the things we've done in our company is all the different parts. I own a construction company. We used to have around 120 employees. We've around 60 employees. And we have different departments, accounting, project management, superintendents, um, all the different groups in the company. And you know, everybody's busy, so PMs are pissed off at the at the accounting for this, and and, that, and accounting is always angry about something, right? And so we, <laughs> so we we did we started doing a day in the life of. So we would do we do uh, like a once a month uh, potluck, right? And we would do a day in the life of. So the accounting folks would put up, and it'd be funny, you know, they would go through their a day in their life mm. and explain. Like they're really not trying to be jerks. They just really have timetables and project managers awesome. are like busy too and they don't yeah. send their stuff in. And, and what happened is there was a great deal of respect that went around the whole company because because I mean, I'm the CEO and I don't know what the accounting people do yeah. and I really don't care. Yeah. Well, now I know what they do and I'm thinking, if I did that job, I'd quit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what happened is we were honoring them by letting them tell their story. Yes. Of what they do. Story. Huge. And then the and then all the other people are like, oh, oh yeah, okay, I'm gonna get my payouts in on time. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's something to that, think about. That boy. Tell what's your name? Sean Carney. Sean from where? Uh, Tampa, Florida. Tampa. Awesome story. Hey, hey, you guys, we, we need to close so you can have a little bit of break and get to your next session. So just let me say this, um, and I'm going to say this too because they're going to edit right after this, and then let me just pause so they have a break and edit. But um, thank you for coming. Glad you're here. Um, we have a gift for you if you're interested. Um, if you go on your app store, depending on your phone, and you type in Lionshare Leadership Group, you can download an app, and on that app is a devotional. We did 366 two-minute video devotionals. You can listen to them audio as well on the character of God. So if you go through the whole thing in a year, you'll have gone through 101 attributes of God's character three to four days each. And part of my own discipleship journey, one of the things I've recognized is that the image of God that people carry around inside of them, it affects the way they live their everyday life. And if we can reshape them biblically of what God's really like, so that's our gift to you. It's free. You can download it, um, and those are available to you, you know, now. So thanks so much for coming. You can see Darren and our team out there if you like.
Well, there you have it. That was Dave and Kent from Lionshare. I hope that you enjoyed that episode. And while I have your attention, I want to ask you to please click subscribe to this channel. I would love to have you back every time I release a new episode. And I want to remind you to mark your calendars for October 5th and 6th for the upcoming National Disciple Making Forum. It's going to be a fantastic time like it always is. All right, guys, I'll see you on the next episode.